to just move through the screens here to make sure I can see everybody. It's wonderful to see everyone's face. Let's enjoy our city. It's quite possible as we're sitting that you might be able to hear the sound of the raindrops. Once Dogen was reflecting on the great teacher Guishan, and he wrote, listen to the sound of raindrops at midnight. The raindrops have the power to pierce not only moss, but rock. Listen to the sound of raindrops at midnight. The raindrops have the power to pierce not only moss, but rock.
Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. You know, I, I hope that those of you who are unfamiliar with some of our verses and chants, uh, when you hear them, um, you don't have to worry about, you know, doing them right or no, no one's going to hear you except yourself. Uh, and stumble through them. Do, do your best to, to look and listen as, as people are, are chanting and you hear my voice, uh, because that's how it begins to get inside of you. Uh, and then you find out what their meaning is, rather than thinking about them, taking them into your, your body uh, and see, uh, see what happens uh, as you do. Uh, very um, briefly, I want to just um, <clears throat> acknowledge, because um, it's important that the passing of a great being, Thich Nhat Hanh, which there's have been many messages from several of us uh, within the Sangha, teachers and others. And <clears throat> there's a, a lovely piece in the back room at Appamata in Austin that some of you remember. This is not the, the one, although this one was in my dear partner, Linda McCarley's, my psychotherapy partner. It was in her office for years and years and years. A calligraphy by Thich Nhat Hanh. The tears I shed yesterday have become rain. And you know, lovely uh, teachings in that. And uh, since part of what we're listening to and reflecting on today continues to be uh, rain and water, uh, we know that it's intimate, very intimate, as our as our own tears are. <clears throat> and whatever tears you might shed in grief um, become uh, something, nourishment, in some way. <clears throat> you know, last week, <clears throat> who, some of you were here, and we used a, a, a metaphor of ice and moss and rock, images of uh, melting and puddling, of water seeking a channel, uh, feeling our way into an ever-expanding channel of awareness and freedom. Uh, some of you will remember these reflections. And, and we investigated uh, through, through our inquiry and through those teachings and words from, from Joe Quebec, the uh, transformative power of the analogy she used of melting and the transformative power of melting together. Uh, and also the, the pain and the sharpness of freezing and remaining hardened and protective. The small verse that I used as a prompt last week, I'll just remind you, and if you weren't here, then you could hear it. And you'll hear the teachings in it. It's a very brief uh, tanka poem by the poet Sagyo. Ice wedged fast and the crevice of the rock this morning begins to melt under the moss 
the water will be feeling out a channel. I switched fast in a crevice of the rock. This morning begins to melt. Uh, under the moss, the water will be feeling out a channel. And we explored the, the beauty and the depth and uh, the, the power of this uh, beautiful poetic image. And this has continued to work in me, obviously, because I'm speaking about it again. And remembering that beautiful calligraphy of Thich Nhat Hanh also was part of that, the resonance. And um, um, I think I, I spoke in the in, intensive, some of you uh, participated in um, just uh, last week or the week before, about how when Peg and I or other teachers are, are speaking, we're, we're sort of taking you along on a, on a walk uh, and, and pointing out or, or sharing the, the view from our practice perspective and inviting you along in that in some ways. And so that's what I'm continuing to do. And in this case, as I said, the, these images have continued to work on me and in me and through me and the calligraphy came to mind and it was a, a nice way to uh, mark uh, <clears throat> this passing as well. And then I came across the statement which I mentioned as we were sitting, uh, which I'd not, uh, I'd not seen in a very, very long time. Listen to the sound of raindrops at midnight. The raindrops have the power to pierce not only moss but rock. So you, you, you hear some, some similarities in the imagery. <clears throat> and the nature um, helped me out this morning by giving you raindrops, which uh, I suppose you might be able to hear. Can, can you shake your head if you, uh, oh, can? I, I thought maybe you could. So our practice of zazen is a little bit like the raindrops. And I don't know about you, but my sitting on my, my cushion or my chair or or maybe a walking in Kenyan, even uh, walking meditation, it seems kind of small and inconsequential. You know, I may sit for a few minutes or, or even in a longer retreat, but, but still, my personal effort seems pretty small in the scope of things. I mean, look at the world. Even the act of sitting to many parts of me seems a little suspect. You know, we aren't doing anything in the face of a world that seems to require quite a bit. Yet each raindrop does have some power. And with time, drops can eventually pierce or shape rock. And in the back of our home here, there's um, all along the back of the house, there's a long uh, cement walkway. And it's hard, it's uh, concrete. Um, and there, there are no uh, gutters on that side of the house. So when the rain falls down, <clears throat> it hits the concrete. And the house has been here for, I'm not sure, how, a couple of decades, uh, three maybe. And you can see where the rain has come off the edge of the house, not on dirt, on concrete. It's etching. It's amazing how these little raindrops have such power. And it's this potential that's transformative power of sustained and dedicated practice that I want us to reflect on today, and I think what Dogen is suggesting and <clears throat> what Saigyo was writing about in his poem, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> what sets in motion the, the melting? And what hollows out a channel? Excuse me for a moment. <clears throat> In the, in the Dogen quote, he, <clears throat> he says, listen to the sound. 
of the raindrops. Pay attention to the sound. There's no way in which he is suggesting that we help the raindrops along or we have to do anything. The piercing happens on its own. He's saying, pay attention. Pay attention. And he's asking us to pay attention with our body, to listen. In the dark, at midnight, not in the glare of daylight, which is a different kind of attention, but at midnight, there's not so much distinction of the, the bright light and the distractedness of daytime busyness. And we all know this. There are things that feel different in the middle of the night. Aaron and I woke up last night about one in the morning here to a 4.7 magnitude earthquake just on the other side of Maui. So for us, it wasn't you know damaging or anything, but it was startling. <laughs> and uh, so we feel we, our body received something and we were moved by it. Listen to the sound of raindrops. Because our practice doesn't have to be something that looks impressive. It's certainly nothing, uh, you know, mystical or mysterious or magical, but oh my gosh, how people want that, you know. It's the continuous nature of everyday practice, which generates the power to penetrate not only moss, those things that are more permeable in our lives, but rock, which seem much more solid. Not only, not only just, you know, our everyday thoughts and feelings, but our deepest delusions and our most closely held illusions. And some of the most closely held for many of us are actually those associated with our spiritual practice. The idea is that I, I can succeed. I can get enlightened. I'll be different. It will solve all my problems. You know, the list goes on and on. So in another poem, which we've studied many times, the Shen, Shen Ming, which uh, comes from very, very ancient times in China. In the midst of this beautiful and powerful poem, the author says, don't keep searching for the truth. Just let go of your opinions. Melt, release. Aside from, you know, these goals we set for ourselves of, of progress, we have available to us our actual embodied relational practice, which is, which is most important. We forget, and this is very, very important to remember, we are enacting and embodying the fullness of life all the time. We're living, our, our life is the reality of living. Whether you consider yourself deluded or enlightened or full or happy, it's each moment is complete. You're living life fully. And it looks and feels like this. And Zazen helps us step beyond all these, the ways in which we grasp, keep searching, and rest more deeply in our, our life. There's uh, a way that I, I say it somewhat similarly, but I'm going to uh, read just for a moment a few words from Reb Anderson because I love the way he said it. Because when I read this the first time, it really got my attention, and I'm attempting to get your attention in the same way. He was speaking about zazen, the seemingly inconsequential, simple practice. He said, Zazen does not prefer success over failure. 
if you're enlightened, we still sit in the midst of enlightenment with no preference for it. If we are deluded, we still sit in the midst of delusion with no aversion to it. This is Buddha's zazen. And I love the way he says, if we're enlightened, we still, we still sit in the midst of enlightenment with no preference for it, no clinging. And our precepts and Jukai ceremonies, when Peg and I and some of the other teachers begin to lead these, we say sometimes, even after great enlightenment, will you continue this practice? And we say it three times, and it sounds kind of foolish, like what? Practicing, ongoing practicing is the way we stay in the deep, profound, embodied relationship with living. There isn't practice that then lets us live fully. If we're enlightened, zazen is that profound willingness to sit in the midst of what we awake to and continue to sit in wakefulness and continue to open to the wakefulness which is offered to us. If we're deluded, we continue to sit, even though we're deluded, with no aversion to it. And that non-aversion, that dropping and melting, is the entrance to awakening. This reality, Suzuki Roshi used to call things as it is. That strange way he would use English. Things, the universal, as it is. The ordinary. Things as it is. Speaking of universal and personal at the same time. Encourage us to practice with, with things as it is. You know, rather than a Buddha, Joko would mostly say life as it is. That Buddha represented life as it is, not some person. And certainly there's a quality to a Buddha, but it manifests as life as it is. Buddha is life as it is, your life. Awakening is not something that's going to happen to you later, and it's not some story about some guy in the past. It's happening now, and waking up to that fullness of it now is what we're practicing. Each moment, life as it is, the ultimate teacher. Raindrop after raindrop after raindrop. And in the, the things that I quoted last week from Joko about um, melting and finding a channel, it was a beautiful analogies of how we move in practice. <clears throat> but the, the power, though, of how all that happens, I'm going to use some more of her words. She says, enlightenment is not something you achieve. This is similar to what Reb was saying. It's the absence of something. All your life, you've been going forward after something, pursuing some goal, just like in the Shin Shin Ming. Enlightenment is dropping all that. But to talk about it is of little use. <laughs> so here I am talking. And the practice has to be done by each individual. There's no substitute. We can read about it until we're a thousand years old and it won't do a thing for us. We all have to practice and we have to practice with all our might for the rest of our lives. So this is that kind of fierceness that you have come to know about Joko if you've read or studied or been with her. Enlightenment is not something you achieve. It's a letting go. It's something, an absence of something. And we all have to practice. Drop after drop, tiny raindrop after tiny raindrop, penetrating moss, shaping rocks, and listening to the sound of raindrops at midnight. You know, Dogen doesn't say, watch the fury of the rainstorm transform the landscape, or marvel at the immense power of the ocean waves to completely reshape the coastline. No, he asks us to do something very intimate and private and delicate. He asks us to listen at midnight, in the dark, when everything has been let go of. 
This is Joko's enlightenment is dropping all that. And she goes on a few more sentences I'll read to you. She says, what we really want is a natural life. Pause for a moment. I, I love that. What we really want is a natural life. Our lives, she goes on, our lives are so unnatural that to do a practice like Zen is in the beginning extremely difficult. And then she outs herself. She says, I'm often accused of emphasizing the difficulties of practice. The accusation is true. <laughs> Believe me, the difficulties are there. If we don't recognize them and why they arise, why they arise, the difficulties, we tend to fool ourselves. Still, the ultimate reality not only in sitting, but also in our lives is joy. Oh, so here's the turn. The ultimate reality, not only in sitting, but also in our lives is joy. By joy, I don't mean happiness. They're not the same, she says. Happiness has an opposite. Joy does not. As long as we seek happiness, we're gonna have unhappiness because we'll always swing from one pole to the other. So she's saying, we want a natural life. We want to just be ourselves and be in accord with life and rest in life. And to do that, we enact it by sitting. We do this thing that feels unnatural in the beginning, but it's a way to come back to uh, our natural state, which is awakening, by stopping doing everything. And when we realize then, oh, we're a conditioned, temporary, vulnerable phenomena, and that all of life is. And once we realize we're deluded, and that we only exist as a coming together of causes and conditions, which is temporary, this is what we don't want to know. <laughs> and we accept this reality And that we'll always be this kind of being. Even when we practice, we don't, we're not protected from that reality. We let go of the things we cling to, which cause suffering. But we can go back to our life, back to our living in the midst of this revelation, in the midst of this surrender, in the midst of this repentance, in the midst of this profound acceptance. And we have to live our lives knowing that this is true and always going to be true. But this knowing is liberating. As we relax back into our everyday human lives, a natural life, and actually choose our lives, including all the suffering. Listen to this sound of raindrops at midnight. The raindrops have the power to pierce not only moss but rock. But how do we go back to our life in the midst of this revelation? How, how do we choose what we don't want to choose? Well, I'll, I'll just say a tiny bit more. Uh, this is repentance and vow and refuge. Vow and repentance are two sides of the same coin. And because our vow is endless, our practice is never complete. Drop after drop after drop after drop. And this awareness of incompleteness is repentance and sustains our vow. The awareness of our incompleteness. I know I'm a temporary human being that's vulnerable. So I avow that and know this is who I am. And that sustains our vow. We can't be perfected. And this awakening to our own imperfection is repentance. And then taking refuge is the return to our natural state. We take refuge not to progress to sort of some fantasy to enlighten Buddha. Taking refuge in Buddha 
not to learn to teach some perfect dharma, I take refuge in dharma, or to engage in some inhuman, fleshless relationships we call sangha. It's without the muddiness of humanity. Refuge is plunging in, drop by drop by drop by drop at midnight. We chant, immersing body and mind deeply in the way, awakening true mind, entering deeply the merciful ocean, the Buddha's way, bringing harmony to everyone free from hindrance. So what we can do is our imperfect wholehearted effort. A practice we can embody, small raindrops, penetrating not only our everyday confusions, but our deepest held beliefs. And what we can't do is complete an endless vow. The Grand Canyon is not complete, but it's also not incomplete. The penetrating, the channeling is ongoing. It hasn't stopped so we can admire it. It's ongoing, it's alive with no ideal somewhere in the future about how it should be. It's the continuous feeling out of the channel, penetrating moss and rock. Its incompleteness is its aliveness. And its completeness is its perfection and constant change. And the joy is noticing. And the joy that Joko talks about is the listening, the embracing, the opening to joy and the fullness of life, back to the image of water and ice now. The joy, I want to end on the joy. And another very small poem, which I'll share with you uh, in the after the recording. And it's by a woman, uh, I don't know if you know this poet, I had not known her so much, she's quite well known. Um, uh, Nikki uh, Giovanni. And I, I simply have to, since we're talking about joy, I have to show you her face, not my image, not my photograph. Look at this. Isn't that great? <clears throat> so here are um, some very small poem. And this is... Uh, you're listening to uh, raindrops in Hawaii, but this is for all of you who live in very cold climates. <laughs> I can see the smile of Eileen even under her mask. <laughs> Winter poem. Once a snowflake fell on my brow and I loved it so much and I kissed it and it was happy and called its cousins and brothers and a web of snow engulfed me. Then I reached to love them all and I squeezed them and it became a spring rain and I stood perfectly still and was a flower. This is our practice. So we know what we can do, we know what we cannot do. We have our repentance and vow and refuges. We have drop after drop of zazen. So where in your practice, in a relational practice, do you want to touch on today with me? Raise your hand. Do you really allow yourself to choose the life that you have so that you can live it into its fullness, knowing that fullness is incompleteness, but that incompleteness is the perfection. I know it sounds crazy, this Zen stuff, but there's a freedom and a naturalness to it. And however much I talk or offer you beautiful poetry, it will inspire you, but without the practice, the transformation doesn't occur, drop by drop, raindrop by raindrop. Hello. Uh, I have to start with a funny little occurrence. Um, so on my screen, there you are, and I'm in a little box on the top. And to your left is this beautiful Buddha. 
And the way my box came up, my head and shoulders were where the Buddha was. And then I was <laughs> off and I became the body. And it, and it reminded me of the first time I heard you and Peg refer to us as bodhisattvas. Mm-hmm. And I had never dreamed that I could be a bodhisattva. But today, with uh, your, your uh, nurturing through all these years, I saw myself as a Buddha. There you were. That's gorgeous. It was. It was. I didn't shrink away or anything. I went, oh, there it is. And then I moved my box up so I could see the Buddha. <laughs> well, and you, you, you began to discover the difference between becoming a bodhisattva and here two people that you had some confidence in you realize they saw you that way yeah it's a way of living it isn't some transformation that you suddenly achieve it's your flowering it's the becoming a flower as nikki's talking about in the drenched in the rain of our, our practice and that you could have that image to see yourself superimposed on it, it was so beautiful and I, I really took a lot of comfort in your talk about just living, living the teachings. And there was a period I was so hungry and, uh, <clears throat> you know, eating up as much of the teachings as I can. And uh, I may come back to that. <clears throat> but right now I'm just living, mm-hmm. living my life and practicing. And um, our son is very ill. Oh no. And um, I've learned it's not a good time to be ill during a pandemic. (laughs) It was so strange that that was such a surprise to me. But uh, I just wanted to say what comfort it has been to me to think of Maria and Claudine and Darcy, um, who, you know, I know have and are experiencing what I'm experiencing. And um, I've just felt very connected and held. Good. And you are right now by so many people. Uh, would you say his name? Colin. Colin Hume. That we can hold that too. Thank you, Joan. I, I don't think we're vulnerable <laughs> over Zoom. <laughs> I'm just teasing you about your mask. (laughs) Well, it's interesting you use that word because that is what I, well, first of all, thank you. Thank everybody. And thank you for this wonderful offering. And it's interesting that you mentioned vulnerable because that's what I want to bring forward as my edge, Um, like the water dripping on the rock and the moss alike. you know, to me, vulnerability is something like this notion of wintering. It's this darker place that we go to. And I'm trying to work with the idea of vulnerability as being moved by the truth of the other in any given situation. Vulnerability, mine, that that is expressed as I open to the truth of the other, mm-hmm. any other, under any other situation. To be permeable to that. Yeah, and it, it's new to me. And I'm kind of, if we're talking about the theme of water, I am in a fog. Mm-hmm. So it's neither ice nor water. It's kind of warm, but not clear. And, um, in a way, I don't know how I didn't know this my whole life. Hmm. And also, on the other hand, I know that I was being drawn to it. 
that there was something there was something here that mm -hmm. said go do this but mm -hmm. i had no way no way no way to find myself there until we begin to do these embodied practices mm -hmm. and so i think i'm asking for help and what i'm asking for is the support the support of this entire community to help me along and and to come along with me mm -hmm. and i guess that's all i have to say anybody willing to go along with her just raise your hand <laughs> a lot of people thank you and you're you're speaking very personally and intimately about what it's like to feel out of channel and very much like you remember the image that was on the scroll that i showed when I did my talk on, with the, the blindfold and the hand reaching out and the hand behind, uh, feeling out mm -hmm. a channel, finding, you, you could feel that something was drawing you, that Suzuki Roshi's inmost request, there's some, mm -hmm. something calling, but who knows, but without, uh, a, I mean, we could talk about it, you could read about it, it's very helpful. But until you have the embodied shared practices, it actually doesn't come alive. And the feeling slowly and carefully is essential. And that's Giving yourself the time. Listen at midnight <laughs> and feel like you're a person who has a blindfold on. Thank you. Lisa. There you go. Got it. Hi, Flint. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, channels and um, frozen eyes, frozen emotions. Um, you know, that certainly describes a lot of my life being caught behind a wall of ice. <clears throat> but what I really want to talk about circling around is um, it was when I first moved to Austin, I went to Seton Cove, you were offering a course called When Things Fall Apart. And I went and you read the sense I and I thought, this has nothing to do with me. I am hopeless. I am beyond help. I have tried everything you know i don't feel like a victim i realize well i feel like all this is my fault so i can't be a victim that's pretty handy um but i remember i remember seeing that what you just described in you which part the all my fault the hopeless oh wow i, I tried everything i'm a mess well, I was in such pain and I couldn't read. I was stuck, you know, I couldn't connect. So that leads me to another place um, about my brother. My brother, who also, of course, has some of the same experiences, my, who's a bit younger. And um, what saved my brother's life um, and where he gets his love because his relationship with his family, he's had challenges. He spends hours a day walking dogs at our Humane Society in Bellingham. And he walks the dogs no one else wants. Others are afraid of, they're aggressive, they've been returned. If nobody claims them, they will be put down. And he's even, you know, formed, there's a group of them who sit with these dogs, so they won't have to die alone. So circling around even more, it's like, you know, I'm so thankful to have this practice, but to me, it's a miracle that I have it. <clears throat> it is truly a miracle that I have this practice because, you know, I'm resourceful. I tried many other things. So I wish my brother could have this practice, but of course he can't have this practice. 
He has his practice. Huh? He has, he has his, his practice. practice of walking dogs. Walking dogs. Yeah. So even circling back more, back more. Um, so Peg long ago shared a video, a movie with us, Buck, the Horse Whisperer. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Buck, yeah. And, um, you know, it's profoundly meaningful. So my brother was going through a dark time, you know, this winter, especially living, you know, in North Washington. It was even worse than usual. And um, so I made a box for him of, you know, Carl's bits and pieces. And one of the things I put in there was a DVD, a book. And that was a few months ago. And finally, last week, he said, you know, I watched Buck. And he said, oh, it's about people, too. It's about everybody. And he said, I've been sharing it with people at the volunteers and staff at the Humane Society. And, you know, I wanted to say to him, yeah, I am that horse, you know, these teachers, these sangha, you know, I was so, um, was so fearful and so unable to come closer, you know, without that huge container. So I'm so thankful to be able to communicate with my brother in that way, in way that, you know, I can't, words can't say, right? Oh, Carl, I wish, you know, I can't give him advice, but he watched that horse whisperer movie and he's the dog whisperer. And I gave him a, I gave him a hoodie a while back, you know, that says, we're all just walking each other home. And he wears that when he don't walks dogs. So, you know, my this is the way our practice, I can read what I can offer, right? I'm glad to have something to offer and a way to touch my brother. It's beautiful. And the thing that you felt that first day at Seton Cove, as if you didn't have anything to offer. And turns out you did. And not only that, but you have a way of connecting with someone that you care about and both of you coming out of a, a good bit of trauma. It turns out there's joy and love there. Raindrop after raindrop over many years, it was very beautiful. I'm glad you hung in there. Well, it took a lot of years and I'm glad to hear your feedback. Oh, I wonder what sense saw except a person, a frozen person. He was Did, afraid to come, afraid, a f- desperate, frozen person. That's you, how I feel. You, you've said this in a certain way before, but, you know, your your brother walks these dogs that nobody else wants to walk. And we've been walking each other, haven't we? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I didn't ever, I, I didn't uh, agree with your assessment of who you were. Right. But it's how I felt. So that was my experiencing. I, I agreed with your experience. I mean, I, I saw it. I, I acknowledged it. And it's not how I saw you. Yeah. So we continue. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Decade after decade. <laughs> That's right. Raindrop after raindrop. It's and amazing. Then... It's been this long, huh? Yeah. 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 Thank oh, you. Thank you for hearing, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bodhisattvas come in so many forms. Penelope. Thank you, Flynn. Um, Well, this fits in with the walking. Um, I want to thank Lisa for sharing that about her brother. That's one of the kindest things I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And he must be just a, a beautiful person to do that because that's something that you have to be brave to do, you know, that, you know, brave and kind. So thank you. That, I said, buddy, such as courage, beings are numberless, lots of dogs, beings are numberless, really? how to free them. Yeah. So, I mean, I've never even heard of that particular being kindness, you know, a kind of 
kindness. But um, I wanted to share just this little image uh, that is so beautiful about Thich Nhat Hanh. In 1997, my mother had passed away and um, I called my sister, Patty, who several people may know, um, and um, asked her if she'd go on a retreat in Santa Barbara with me uh, that Thich Nhat Hanh was leading. And she said, yes. And so it was just absolutely a beautiful experience. But this particular part at the end of the retreat, he said, let's all walk on the beach together. And so we walked over to the beach and I just carry that face of his, you know, we've all seen in the pictures, you know, how he's just like, like radiating kindness. So he's walking along the beach and then and all the people, you know, are walking along with him. And um, so we looked to our left and the dolphins had all come up and were like swimming right along, right close to us. Like, like they knew it was ticked on hot, you know, it was, it was the most beautiful thing. Everybody was like, wow, you know, here's this energy just coming out of him. Well, and it came out of all of you. Well, he was, he might've been leading and made the invitation, but without people responding, there's no energy. And that's the power of Sangha and what he could invite. And he invited it. But it's and... also what all of you are inviting. When you tell that story, when Lisa tells hers and on and on. When each person offers themselves, we're called further, deeper. So thank you. I'll remember that image. I've been on that beach in Santa Barbara. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. We have just a moment if Graham is there. Yep, there we go. Hello. Hi there. Yeah, I'll be brief. Still struggling, but glad I'm here. And Hi. I felt that book of calligraphies. So I just wanted to, I don't know if it'll work, but there's just a few pictures. Yes. So does that come up? Yes. Yes. Stop. And next, hang on, hang on. Stop, Stop. sit. Here we go. This is his best one. Smile. That's a good one. Here we go. You have enough. And finally, This is it. What a what a beautiful series, Graham. It's a great show and tell. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. It's good to see your face yeah. and hear your voice. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to spend more time next time, maybe. Thank you. Well, I'm headed that way apparently. So. <laughs> thank you, everyone, so much for the. Uh, your rich offerings of your lives and how the teachings move raindrop by raindrop in powerful, powerful ways. And so let's uh, use our voices to repeat the four practice principles to remind ourselves of this ongoingness. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, Compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. And now the raindrops have stopped.
Apamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your support makes such a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website and I'll place it also in the chat for everyone. Um, you can go directly to the website or you can go to uh, the forms to fill out for specific teachers like Flint and our other teachers. Um, thank you, everyone. And um, if you'd like to stay after now and visit for a bit on the porch, uh, Maria is your lady. So I'm going to hand it over to you now, Maria. Thank you. Thank you, Flint. <laughs>